the increase of, of means in general is what they tend to do is they tend to increase extremes. That's what the increase of means do. And so that's the way to understand the internet is that it's a place of, of extremes. And so it's, mm. and so in a manner it's, it's, it's actually, it's like the union of heaven and earth, which is not completely connected. Hello. Welcome to Why Are We Talking About Rabbits? That's this podcast. That's the one run by First Things. I'm John Hears. First Things, you know, we send people into the field to do a development work. But when they come back, they ask a lot of questions like, what the hell was going on? So we use philosophy and history and their experiences to figure out what is this old world, new world divide. And today we do it with Jonathan Peugeot on Watar. So let's let, let's just get into it. So I was reading some of your brother's book and I kept going back to my f- favorite author, Sherard. For whatever reason, you know, I get, I, I'm told that don't read Sherard, but whatever. I, I don't get into that conversation too much because he had some perennialism going and whatnot. But in the end, I can't escape this. And your conversations online, they seem to go together, which is something like the the, the enlightenment is a second fall. It's a type of re-embracing of the original sin. And what do you think of that? Is, is that a pattern that, that seems real and true or, or is it too much or is it too dark? No, I think it makes sense. I think that, well, I mean, whether it's a second fall, I think that we, we have to kind of understand the fall is something which is that happened at the outset, but is, is always present. Like it's always happening, you could say. And so you can fall because even in scripture, it's not like there's one fall. We tend to, there is, there's a fall in the garden, but then there's a fall, which happens at the level of Cain. And you can see that they're analogical, even in the way that they're treated, because the curse that God gives Cain is like the same as the curse to Adam, but like one step more, Mm. where he tells Adam, you know, you by the sweat of your brow, you will till the soil. And he tells Cain, the soil isn't going to give you anything. Like, you're not going to get anything from the soil. You're going to be a wanderer, you know, and you're not going to have a home, basically. Um, and so it's like he gets, Adam gets chased from the garden, then Cain gets chased from the earth almost. Like, he's just yeah. going to wander and not going to be able. So you can see that there's, like, levels of fall. And you can understand that the process from Adam to the flood as succeeding falls kind of fractal falls at different levels mm-hmm. in the, the creation of weapons and the creation of, of, you know, of the metallurgy and the corruption and sexual sin and all of this mixture, the problem of the Nephilim, all of this kind of is all these compounded falls until the flood. So I think that we can definitely understand the uh, enlightenment as part of that and relate and under can help us understand the fall even, right? Because it does have to do with knowledge that is misused or used for the wrong reasons. And dehumanizing. There's something about that total embrace that started this mechanistic worldview where I feel like we're in this pattern of dehumanization. Does it end with a flood again, though? This is the crazy pattern. Well, I mean, according, at least, I I don't know, like it ends in fire, I think, you know? Right. doesn't maybe not end in water it seems to end in fire can i ask a personal question john what do you ever get like sad that you always 
end up delivering these kind of messages. Like, he's like, <laughs> the end is nine messages. Yeah, definitely. I think more recently, more so, because I think it's difficult because as things speed up and as things progress and as these narratives uh, kind of, let's say, all come into each other, then all of a sudden it's hard to give the good news. Like it's, there's good news, but the good news is, is after a difficult time. Like it's hard now to, it's hard to, when people are saying you're, you're negative, but it's like, yeah, but I mean, you know, you can read some of the text when things weren't going right in the old Testament, you know, some of the stuff that's being said is not positive. And so well, I don't think that's yeah. to be respected. That's what I think is impacts so many of us who listen to you in all these conversations on this sort of subculture called whatever this is, orthodoxy and postmodernism, <laughs> you return to the principle all the time, which is really helpful because it's not negative to be negative. It's negative in light of the tradition and the old Testament's pretty negative. So it's not, it's not like you're just making up negativity for the exactly. sake of, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, res- I, I respect, and that's what Sherrard is doing. He's trying he's saying in this rape of man in nature or that what's happening is, is not because I like it or wanted to, or you're bad people. It's because we've embraced an idea that is empty. So talk about that. Is the enlightenment, it never feels empty when I watch an engineer build a building in America and they can't do it the same way in Sierra Leone, it feels full, but then the building actually turns out not to have, salvific powers it, it's almost like look at it and then if it's filled with ugliness it almost didn't matter so how, how do we make sense of like is it actually empty this enlightenment yeah does it bring something rich to us i don't know so i mean i think the best way to understand it is to kind of i think to kind of understand it really through the story of the falls maybe the best way to to see mm-hmm. it is and so you have adam and eve they reach up for a, a form of knowledge which they're not ready for is the best way to understand it. They are not disposed to receiving this knowledge. And so they take it, they kind of reach into the secret, you could say, and they, they rip it out of the secret. And then they have to deal with the consequences of that knowledge and of the fact that they're not ready for it. That's what the, the fall ends up being. Because there are many traditions, you see it in St. Ephraim the Syrian, you see it even in St. Irenaeus of Lyon, the notion that God intention was to give Adam and Eve the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, but not on, not, you know, on his term. That is when God discerned that it was the time to, to, to receive this knowledge, they would have gotten it, but they took it for themselves in desire. It's important to understand it's part of it's, it's in desire because it in desire for power, right. In a desire. So it's weird. It's like a weird thing because, you know, that's why a lot of people struggle with Orthodox Christianity because we say things like, you know, man became, uh, God became man so that man can become God. And people are like, whoa, 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 whoa. Isn't that what's there in the garden? Right? Isn't that what Adam and Eve's doing? And it's like, you, you have to see it in its proper place, which is that was the plan for God all along, right. was to make man participate in God. But it's not for us to take it for ourselves to increase our st- status and power. It's for it to be revealed to us in the in the, the proper moment. And so reaching up and taking those knowledges and desire is what leads to the problem. And so you can see that in the enlightenment, you have that you have the problem of technology, which was there in the, the, the story of Cain. The human beings reaching up towards patterns which are true, 
bringing them into the world in order to increase their power, increase their capacity to, 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 do, to do battle to others, increase their strength compared to other nations. Yeah. You know? And so you can see how there's a relationship between the nation state and the Enlightenment. There's a relationship between modern warfare and the Enlightenment. A lot of the Enlightenment thinkers, they hate to say that. They want to think that it's all about being rational and being reasonable, but there is a direct relationship Yes. Between between the developments of those it, these different aspects. It, it makes me think of the prodigal Christ's prodigal son. It's almost like the Enlightenment thinkers got into the pig pen and then <laughs> found something really cool and then said, We're gonna fix this pig pen up and and have been fixing up the pig pen ever since. And it's a pretty cool pig pen. The problem is it's not fullness it's not true light it's like a it's like a, a lesser light right in the big yeah. or something but the story of the of the prodigal son is one of the best stories to understand this because it's a it's a good story of the fall it's a great story of the fall because that was the child's inheritance right it's his if it's his wait. it was his he just had to wait for his yeah. father to give it to yeah, him that's good but because he takes it for himself in desire then it leads him into corruption and into chaos and into the pig pen, basically. And so, like you said, one of the things that happened in the Enlightenment is to say, we don't need, not everybody in Enlightenment, but the, the sure. general movement of the Enlightenment is to say, we don't need God. We've got all we need in order to increase our own power, to increase our own lifespan, to understand the world. So we're going to do it that way. And it's not as not that those patterns were untrue. Right. It's that they were they were taken and applied not in reverence towards God, not in reverence towards the source of all things, but in a in a kind of a, in a practical desire to yeah to increase your power. Is it is the enlightenment in that way an intentional for, forgetting? It feels like we are going to forget this. Stop trying to remember it. We're going to forget that we came from the the great mansion, and we're going to yeah. build this almost like a it's pride, which again takes us back yeah. to the garden on some level. Yeah, it's pride, and it's also let's say it's a natural circumstance of being cast out of the garden, because when you're cast out of the garden, all of a sudden you're afraid of death. You you notice your right. fragility. You notice, and so you have to bolster yourself. There's no way around it. You can see that you're going to die, but that death doesn't have the same meaning as it does, you know, in the crucifixion, in the story of Christ. So it's like, it just, it really, and, and they understanding the Nietzschean, I mean, obviously Nietzsche didn't, the Nietzsche wouldn't have agreed with this kind of military interpretation of right. his built of power, yeah. let's say. But in the end, that's, that's what, one of the things that ends up playing out is, is this weird like will to power and desire to protect ourselves and to be, to be, it to be safe. To. It has to play out that way. Yeah. Uh, again, in, in, in with Sherard, what he says is, is if you just take Francis Bacon, Bacon's anticipating the world after the implementation of the scientific mind. He's really brilliant. I mean, he's kind of, I don't know what you think of Francis Bacon. To me, he's not he's weirdly not deep, even though his ideas have caught on everywhere. But mm. when, when you look at him trying to explain the world to come, man, he's like, this is not only what we have to do, but isn't it going to be fun? <laughs> and I guess the answer, the, the I mean, and Matthew talks about it. The, the question is, is but is it in alignment with reality? Uh, 
your project might not actually be related to your to your being. You might be becoming dehuman. That's this dehumanization idea that keeps coming up in our work and, and, yeah. and in my mind, which is like, what does it mean to be fully human and aid someone? Is it make them work in the image of your idea or is it simply to to serve their idea, no matter how odd their idea may be? Do you empty to become full or do you bring somebody something so they might eat and become like you or something? Oh, I yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you mean. Um, so, I mean, I think it it actually acts, it probably has to be a meeting of those it's two both. worlds, like a meeting of that which I have and how does that fit or relate to that which you need or that which you think you need. Mm-hmm. And so it ends up being, a, if it's properly done, helping someone can actually be a, a, a an act of, of true communion because it's not, there are, like you said, those two tendencies are there in the world of aid where you have, you know, this weird top down UN kind of nonsense where they come in and they're like, okay, all girls going to school, we're going to put Oof. in a hundred million dollars and this we're going to get all the this girls to school. Real. Oh yeah. I know it's real. And not only are we going to get our girls to school, but the money you get, for any other project is dependent on whether or not you take this money to send all your girls to school. We're seeing this in Georgia right now. In the Georgia Republic in the South, we literally are trying not to work with these organizations because everything is tied to something else. And ultimately it's an agenda. Yeah, you're right. Sorry. All right. So that's the, that's the, the top down one. And so then you also have another thing, which is, Basically, the idea of like, like you said, whatever that the person says they need is what I'm going to give them for. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I mean, that <laughs> that's OK. You just have to be careful. It's not just enabling. Right. Because there's all it's like I can have a friend of mine who says, well, what I really need right now is a 40 ounce of scotch. Like, that's what I need. And I want you to give it Some to me. I don't have any money for it now. And so it has to be there has to be a kind of encounter a loving encounter where you find the the balance between the two, you know, because you often, as someone who's trying to help someone else, you do have something to offer, but you have to be careful because you also be maybe trying to just make the person in your image, which, which would be more idolatrous. So would you go down the line of the CRT, the critical race theory people that call the colonial mindset is the one where I'm not really interested in what you think you need. I have something great and you take it. That feels colonial mindset to me. The problem is the way that they, that ends for them. It ends with, I guess the colonial people have nothing to offer as opposed yeah, which is, to which is not true, which is not true. I think that that's the reason why the rich help the poor is because the rich have something to offer to the poor. Mm. And, and, you know, St. Saint, Saint John Chrysostom says, wonderful he says the reason for the rich are the poor like they're the reason they exist is to give to the poor it's very powerful very powerful statement because he's not saying there should be no rich people rich people even he's saying no 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 he's like the actual reason why you exist is so that you can offer you know in your in your riches to those that don't have and so but i think that that's and, but then there's also something often that the rich have, which is education, which is mm-hmm. some know-how, which is all kinds of stuff, which is not just money, resources, all kinds of resources. So I think that, there, like I said, it has to be, it's difficult because it only works in a world of true relationship. Like it only works in a world of true communion where you know the people you're giving to, 
You've gotten to know them. You've taken the time to relate to them, to kind of see what their foibles are, to see what their strengths are. And they get to know you and they know, let's say, what you're interested in in terms of helping others. And there, there's a there's a kind of synergy which finds finds itself in between those two. So the, the CRT people, it's are and the CRT stuff is so it's so agenda driven. It, there's another political agenda behind it. It has very little to do with the often that which is it's also a grab for power. Like yeah, the, yeah. Not not even a grab for power of the minorities that they pretend to represent. A grab for power for the people representing their theory. That's that's what they actually that's what they actually uh, want in in trying to implement that. So you need to rather find like I think like we work. I think I mentioned you. We work with the Mennonites. That's who we were working yep. for. Mm-hmm. And I think I've rarely seen an organization that was as as good. At least in my experience, we were there on the ground. We saw other organizations, and they really did have that balance. I remember even my my supervisor saying things like, "You have to be attentive to the community." We spend months just creating networks, right? Creating relationships. But then she said, you know, you also have something to offer. Like you're not just, you're not just a vessel for money. you actually are a person that has skills and, and, and love, and you have all this and you have that to offer as well. And so you have to not pretend like that doesn't exist. Well, is this the fig tree? So I always try to tell our guys that if you plant yourself properly and your seed is you know, oriented properly and the soil has something like nutrients, you really should produce fruit. And I do think the fruit should look, it can look something like material gain. It's it's not like material gain is evil. In fact, it's really the opposite. You should bear material fruit. Does that sound right in terms of? I think so. The I think you're right. But it's also like a weird irony of Christianity, which is that, which is that in Christianity, there's a sense in which material gain actually comes from self-sacrifice. And it's it's very surprising, right? It's the it's the surprise mm-hmm. of the monasteries that are constantly becoming rich. It's like they live in this, this sense of poverty and of, of self-sacrifice, but then they always end up becoming rich because that's actually, th- there's a reality to that, like you said, which is that if you plant the seed properly, rightly, you know, in truth and in beauty and in... And in goodness, then the fruits will come, you know. So what is your, this is, I was just at, at St. Anthony's and mm. we we buried my mother, memory sorry. eternal. Yeah, sorry. yeah. And, but I walked into the monastery there in the middle of the desert and was hit with that very, very profound moment where you, I said, these cats are, they got, they got stuff. They got They're a rich. lot of stuff. Tough. They are rich, and so as a person operating in the world, when you feel that, what's the explanation for why that's okay? Is it is it that it's the physics, it's spiritual physics, it should look like that? Which is gets really weird to the gospel of wealth. Is is it like that? It's not- no, I don't think it's like the gospel of wealth because the I don't think the so. reason why they're doing it is not to gather wealth. I mean, at least you hope. The, the reason why they're doing it, and it's the joke, right? It's the joke of, it's a, it's, a, it's a weird joke of Christianity, right? Which is like the hermit goes out in the desert and is just like, leave me alone. I just want to pray. I just want to be with God. Leave me alone. Then he can't do it. Life of Brian. Impossible just keep following him around. <laughs> exactly. It's impossible for him to, to end up alone, right? To St. Anthony, they actually like hack away at his thing and like pull him out of like of his hiding place. To say, like, teach us, you know, bring and it's the joke of the 
of the greatest bishops were always the monks that ran away from being bishops and the people yeah. would have to physically get them, bring them back to the, to the, to the seat and say, you know, you're the bishop, you stay here. And then they're the greatest bishops, right? There's a, <laughs> there's a sense in which Christianity's fruits are in self-sacrifice. Uh, and so I think that if the, if, if things are done with the right reason in the worship right. of God and the desire for transformation, then there will be, there will be like physical accumulation. And, but then if it becomes then the reason for it, like if it becomes the reason for, for their actions, then it's going to fall apart. Right. Look at all these wealthy, look at all these wealth churches. They're all, they're all scandal ridden to the core. Now it's like, right. they're, what are they, all these documentaries coming out about just how, how corrupt these different big wealth type Christians are ended up being corrupt because it's not something that you can avoid. It's like, if you act for material gain, then. So as a philosopher and an artist in Canada, is America that, do you think America's roots are in the immediate material hope to gain something in this world? And therefore it has to end in something like, a greed fire. <laughs> like, is that what, is that what America is? How do you see America from where you see I think it? it's ambiguous. I think America is an ambiguous figure. Um, America is like, it really is like the end of the world. And it's tends to have in it, like all the three elements in revelation, you could say a good way mm-hmm. to understand it. It's like, it seems to really have the beast there like the beast is there it seems like the whore is there mm-hmm. especially in california and then it seems like there's also i'm joking <laughs> then, as, then there also seems though to be the 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 woman with her child right who is taken up and so you have in america a weird microcosm where you have the craziest of like imperial systems uh Know, desire to control and to, to to dominate. You also have the chaotic fringe of mixture and of mm-hmm. and of excess and mm-hmm. of you know porn culture. But then you also have that monastery that you you know Saint Ephraim's monasteries in the U.S. have been weird like oases, and then you see that in all kinds of places. It's not like it's the only thing, but a land of I think extremes. that that's what America is. It's like a weird microcosm that's playing itself out. That's how I feel when I come home. And I love, I love the places where we work. I mean, we could talk about, you know, global South culture, developing culture, but I, the, the woman who goes right up into heaven, I feel that when I come home and not just because it's my home, there's something about American freedom. That's real. It's real. It really does provide a type of freedom. And I do think it kills I think it kills the noose. I mean, I always think about America and Thomas Jefferson for some reason and the story of Constantine. Here's here's what I mean. Is the Greeks had a and the Greco-Romans had a republican democratic heritage of sorts. Yeah. And then the Byzantines for lack of a better word, the later Romans, they adopt Christianity and then have a thousand years and more where they don't turn to their Greco-Roman Republican past. (laughs) You have to be careful. Like there's a, the Byzantine empire is still, it still has a certain Republican 
flavor to it. It's not exactly uh, uh, a, okay. dem- a democratic republic, but there is a sense of citizenship. A confederation, which, right? Th- a, and a there's type. there's also a sense of citizenship, which is not so present in uh, the West with a feudal system. In the, in a, there isn't this sense of like being owned by your by your Lord and that, you know, that the Lord owns all the land and that everybody there is owned by the Lord. This kind of simple hierarchy that you find in the West, which has its function, but in the Byzantine empire, you don't seem to have something as not that exactly that kind of relationship. The the emperor's relationship to the people is different than in in European, in the middle ages in in Europe. And I think so. At least that's my understanding of it. I mean, obviously, it's a long time to to say what exactly the the culture was, but it seems like there was still a sense of 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 citizenship that continued on in the in the in the well, and land land ownership was was different in in yeah. the, in the new in the right in the Byzantine Empire, for lack of a better word. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. And there there was a the, the emperor's relationship with the people was much different than the king's. Now that could be because of the way that land was broken down and owned, but. Long story short is those Greco-Romans, they don't really run to embrace Pericles' democracy, but the American deists do. And and so what I find interesting is, is I feel like the American deists, Jefferson and Franklin and these cats, what they're trying to do is something like throw off the shackles of perhaps a, a you know, an improper monarchy. But I also think they're trying to say something like we're going to double down on this notion of human independence in a way to allow everyone to chase their monetary desires. I I don't have a problem with that, but it plays out all over this country. And now I wonder if it can't play out anymore. It, It can't cohere. Mm-hmm. We've created such a hyper individualism and such the notion, the value that I am somebody because I've made wealth. I don't see how it coheres. Can it cohere in your mind? I don't no, know I mean, obviously, does. no, it can't. The world can't cohere around material gain. That's just that's just that's absolute nonsense. Like there's no way to understand that that's that that's possible. Uh, and I, it can work for a little while, you know, just like the world can cohere under political unity for a while and the world can mm. cohere under under trade for a while um but it's if it's not if it's not directed towards the highest good then it's always going to it's always going to break down is that why we're running toward a type of globalism it's the next coherence it's the only way to sort of give people meaning is through this global m- move it seems like that's what people think you know, and it's interesting to notice how the globalists use very explicit tropes of the Tower of Babel, for example, in order to represent their own movement. So they get it. They know what they're doing. But there's also a way in which just in terms of practical, just for practical reasons, the idea of a completely interconnected one world culture is just not possible. It's just not possible. It becomes right. fragile. It becomes fragile because diversity, you know, when they say the joke that it's like they're saying diversity is strength, like in Canada, like diversity is strength, but not alone. And unity is is needed, too, but it's yeah. not alone. It, it's the, you need unity and multiplicity in order for anything to exist properly. And so this these weird desires to to like emphasize on one hand, extreme diversity, like absolute diversity, mm. 
but then reach up for like absolute unity in this like one world type of culture. It's not gonna. It's not gonna work. It's not gonna hold. You should see West Africans trying to wrestle with this because. So the rest, the West African experience is is first I'm a Bambara or a Mende. Well, f- first I'm my father's son or daughter, and then I'm a Bambara or Mende or Temne or whatever ethnic group. And those are a really those bonds are alive and well. Yeah. But the, but but the I don't again I don't want to bust on the West. But the glamour is in the electronic devices and it's in something that they keep hearing like a unity that leads to wealth. And so the gospel of wealth is blowing up in West Africa. Mm. And so they, but everyone knows it's, it's not really who they are, but maybe it's who I need to be in order to serve my family, but they don't have the vocabulary. And so what, what's happening, I'll just speak for Sierra Leone. What's happening is, is, Sierra Leoneans are just fodder right now because they just know they need to catch up. And that message has just been driven home by by media. The problem is they don't even know really what that means, except for become westernized. And it's rough. It's rough. And I don't know how that changes in this with these technologies. I don't I don't think it changes. Right. It they have to enter too into the interweb. Is that what's happening? <laughs> Everyone will enter. Yeah, I don't think that. I don't think that it's uh, avoidable at this point. You know, I don't. I mean, Jonathan, I, Jonathan. I see the story. I see the story playing out. Uh, you know, I, I, I think that we need to be deliberate about, let's say, creating uh, arcs or creating alternative possibilities. But I think that. If we think globally, like I don't see another way. Like I just don't see another another story playing out, especially now. It's like things are accelerating at levels that I, you know, I could hardly imagine a few years ago. So the we're all is, we're moving the towards part these. of this. The war is yeah. part of this, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. But it's but COVID and this war are definitely being used to bring about. Whatever change needs to happen to create this thing, you know the 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 idea of of a of these unified digital identities, all of this stuff is happening. It's happening at speeds that are hard to understand. Oh, I just saw this thing today. I wanted to share with you. There is a new service called the Eternal Prayer NFT, where you can commemorate your prayers for all eternity on the blockchain. Oh, wow. Yeah. Whoever but, thought of that is like an evil genius. I know. <laughs> but you literally are given an NFT representing your prayer. And it's it's like a perk, I, which I didn't think prayer was supposed to include weird perks on your computer. Yeah. So basically your prayer is inscribed on the blockchain. Right. That's how they do it. Yeah. I mean, whoever thought of that is an evil genius. That's for sure. Man, the blockchain... <laughs> It, all of that stuff is scary. It's scary stuff, but people don't. I mean, there's a the the the. How can I say this? Like the way that things are moving are in terms of the relationship between the digital and the church is something that yeah. we really need to thank God we're Orthodox at least for a little while. I don't know how long it's going to work, but at least for now, we we you still have to take the bread and the wine in your mouth, like. 
You can't do it through a screen, right? You just, you can, we can well, pretend for, this was the you can pretend for a year, right? In two years that you're going to communion on Zoom, but at some point, whoever continues that eternally is going to stop existing as a church. Like the Orthodox church is a, is a smells and bells and bowing down and, and, and kissing. And that's what the Orthodox church is. And you, you won't, it'd be very difficult to rip that out completely out of the church. Well, it's an embrace. The way you said that is an embrace to smells and bells. And when I first came into the church, I heard that as negative, but now I fully no. understand. No, man. <laughs> now that you've been on, you've been to church on Zoom for two years, or like you went out every long people had to do it. Like you better be grateful for those. That uh, I was watching bells, the guys. <laughs> I was watching the guys with their headphones on out by the bells uh, as I walked in. You know, doing the monastic yeah. uh, the the call. Yeah. And I just thought, you young guys are the best. Look at you. You're saving me because that. <laughs> And I just thought that is some loud, great noise. And I'm a part of it. Yeah, you're yeah. right. That was a different. I think that was the battle, too. I mean, we don't have to get into that. But I do think all the bishops were trying to decide what is this to us? And I think we all know now. Right. Yeah, I, I, I hope so. And I also I also hope that. I mean, I like I hope that everybody the, the difficulty is that what happened during COVID is that it was no, it was normal that at least at the outset there would be some compromises that would happen and that you would have to make those but hopefully we can heal from those compromises some churches went very far and i think not not just orthodox but in general churches in america and in, in europe and i think some will won't they won't they won't survive this mm-hmm. no because they just went so it just some things got broken like some things got broken it makes me think that uh, as as much as we're tempted all the time, Jonathan, in our work to go and do a ton of internet stuff, which we do, you know, we're trying. Really, it just boils down to sitting there long enough in front of someone uh, who needs assistance to understand. And by the way, that smells and bells, right? On some level. Yeah. 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 But there's a way in which that even in terms of humanitarian aid, it's, it's like when you, if you talk to someone on the phone or you meet them through a screen, you don't get the same impression that if you sit in their yard or if they you sit in their house or if they come, to, there's a, there's all these, and this is not even like a religious moral uh, <laughs> argument. It's like, a, it's like you get things from people that you don't realize you get intuitions that are, that are not, that are implicit in your experience from being in physically with someone in space. You know? But what do you do then? Because the, the irony is crazy, right, for you, because yeah. you've created a, a community of screen people. That's right. Well, hopefully, that, I mean, maybe, I think no, maybe, maybe some maybe people- they already existed. You didn't create it, yeah. No, but the, I think that that might be one of the things that I've said it before. And I mean, I don't know if some people in the symbolic world community are a little- uh, I don't know if they're annoyed with me or maybe or not. I don't know maybe if they understand what I'm doing, but I've actually been pretty aloof actually. And so I don't get too involved in a lot of the discussions because I don't want people to think that I'm like some guru that they can, that they can replace real communities with. It's like, no, go to church, dude, go to church, go to confession, like go take communion, you know, or go play basketball or like you need to participate. And so I think the online space offers something which is which is powerful actually, which mm-hmm. which is powerful in the strict sense, right? Of 
of enlightenment powerful. Like it offers you a lot of power. Um, but it's also not, it, it has to be connected to real communities. It has to be connected to, to family. It has to be connected to things which, which, which are embodied, you know? Well, that's the mediation. I love the idea in Matthew's book and really your work is that heaven and earth are all contained. They're not somewhere else. And so it's the mediation, right? Again, it's the thing you talk about all the time, which is it's heaven meeting earth is where we actually exist. And, And so you've got to have both. So I don't mind like having an online presence. The question is, is that your presence? Because that's all heaven, right? That's, that's all. I don't know. Is it, is the, is the, that's the question for you. Is the internet, (laughs) is the internet real in the, in, in the spiritual way things are real? Like, or is it a simulacrum of, of reality? What is it? Um, <clears throat> so I think the way to, to understand in general, like if you want to understand in general, the, the increase of, of means in general is what they tend to do is they tend to increase extremes. That's what the increase of means do. And so that's the way to understand the internet is that it's a place of, of extremes. And so it's, Mm. and so in a manner it's, it's, it's actually, it's like the union of heaven and earth, which is not completely connected. So it's actually, it's, it's not a very strong connection. And so because of that, it, it can go into, into the darkest, lowest places. Mm. And it can also like go up into very abstract, very, so you, for, for example, like you can, on the internet, you can meet people who think exactly like you because there's, there's a hundred millions of people online. So you can actually like encounter patterns of thinking that are so similar to you that you could never do that in the world. So that's like, that's like a, that's an extreme and, but that's not real community. Right. So there's a, there's a problem with the extreme because that too much unity can be uh, it can be like, it can be an idol. That's the best way to understand it because it's like, I feel much better. Right. If I'm around people that think exactly like me all the time, it makes me feel good. makes you feel like things are in order because, and we all agree. So it's like, it's nice, this nice uh, little idol that I can hold on to, but the world is far more messy. And so let's say a real, like a parish, for example, a parish is accident. The, the type of people that you will encounter in a parish is not the people you chose. Just like a family too, right? I mean, you choose your wife, but like, is it your kids? You don't choose your kids. You don't choose your parents. You don't choose your in-laws. And so these relationships end up being more resilient actually in the end, because they they join this unity and multiplicity together in a more in a healthier way. They more microcosmic. They represent the world in a, in a, in a better manner. Plus, but the body, internet is too extreme. Plus, bodies are by bodies. Does that matter? Like, I'm in a. I can actually smell somebody. Yeah, it, it feels like that's the earthen part of our. Uh, For sure, of, of deep reality, right? Like, we have to smell you or something. The internet is is alienating. It's an alienation because I'm still here in my body. I still have part of my experience that's here in this chair, mm-hmm, right? Drinking mm-hmm. my coffee, mm-hmm. but there's also a part of my experience that's projected into this pattern space. And so it's like, there's a, there's an alienation, which is inevitable in that, in that, in that relationship, it's just built in. 
so is the inclination or should the inclination be, I think we have it in first things right now, which is every time we do something internet-y, we then invite people to meet in person on we're calling these KP weekends where we all get together. It, oh yeah, for sure. It feels like it's, it's a good inclination, right? It, oh yeah. It's a wholeness. That's a great, I mean, I think that, I think it's a great initiative to understand that in order for the messiness of relationships to build resilience, they have to be, they kind of have to be embodied at least to some extent. It's very mm-hmm. difficult to, to, you know, and, but you could, you can have, I mean, you could have different ways of structuring it where you could say at least some groups like meet together, but then maybe the groups yeah. when they meet together, yeah. most of it, sometimes they do it online and then maybe once a year they come together in person like there are ways to find a hierarchy but you definitely i think you you definitely need some i mean it's 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 crazy like you i can see the difference because during covid i didn't do a go anywhere i was just here and then finally someone invited me to speak at the oca uh uh, the oca um in in florida for the the diocese of the south and i was like man, I had forgotten what it was to like, you know, to hug people and to, 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 to have, you know, to, just to be there with people and to eat and to, to, you know, and, and to just feel sometimes even feel someone's embarrassed or feel someone doesn't know what to say. And all of that kind of messiness, it was like, wow, oh, it feels so good to just be with people. Oh yeah. And make mistakes. I had this just as you were speaking, like, you know, you turn the, and we're going to turn this camera off in a second. And then, yeah. It's almost like this, that's it now. <laughs> and, and I don't have to worry about anything that happened now. It's recorded, but the mistake yeah. is somehow okay. But if I made that same mistake or I didn't say what I wanted to and I'm standing with you or I said something, I have to like live in that moment yeah. where, where you're, I'm going to see you again, Lord have mercy. And then <laughs> on the other hand, I don't think, Jonathan, and I know you think like this too, the things that you've patched together, I really think of it as a subculture. I, I, I know we're part of it because the mm-hmm. people we recruit all come out of this conversation. Those are high level. I call them spiritual in the sense when I talk to our guys, you, you and we are people are having high level conversations on the Internet and then leaving those those traces of those conversations in a way that is pretty cool. Yeah. But need to be embodied. Is that what we're saying? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Because you can imagine that you can see the the caricature because the caricature exists, which is, you know, the the guy who's interested in orthodoxy and spends all his time online, you know, you know, going to all these watching all these YouTube videos and doing all seeing all these orthodox memes and doing all this, but then just doesn't go to church. Like that exists. Oh, that really exists. exists. I mean, that really exists. People who 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 are orthodox because they are theologically all this and they live in this online world, but they they don't they're not even maybe they're not even catechumen sometimes. They're not even they they no. they they've never been or been once or twice in a parish. And I think that that's that's a dangerous space to to be in because because orthodoxy is messy. Oh you've and been it's good. accused. It's, you've been accused. I, I, I'm just telling you, you already know this. Yeah. My brother's been accused, probably me, on some level of yeah. 
sending the guy to church. Thank you very much. And then the guy just is assassinating the priest with every thought <laughs> because, because that's not what Jonathan said. <laughs> yeah. But here's my it's point. Like, was, we know this. Like it says, God forgive me for whatever part I have to play in no, that. No. You know? Like, yeah, but you're right. That, that's definitely the, the, the difficulty because orthodoxy is messy and it's uh it's, it has a grittiness to it and it has an embodiment to it. And it, and it doesn't negate the the reality of everybody's broken sinfulness and their broken relationships and all of this. And the, so there's the ideal, but then in the world, none of it happens the way it's no. supposed to. And that's, that's actually part of, that's yes. part of reality. That's part of what should happen. Yeah. Which is nuts. Will you do one last little piece of conversation? Just five, five more minutes. Sure, sure, sure. Verveki. Yeah, John Verveki. And all yeah. these cats. Yeah. Especially Verveki, who's a Neoplatonist by his own admission. Where are these dudes in this conversation about Orthodox? I think a lot of people listening to you want to know this. Like, do they ever turn to you when the microphone's off and go, Yeah, Jesus is nuts. Stop talking about Jesus. Like, you know, and Jordan Peterson's one of them too. Like, you have an entree into a world where a lot of us are very fascinated by this conversion. Yeah. Mode what is it like? What is actually happening out there in, on the side conversations? These cats think you're crazy when it comes to that, or is it more like, I don't know. I don't think so. I, don't I, really, think so. I really don't think they think I'm crazy for sure. Not Paul Van I mean, Paul Van is a legitimate Christian. Yeah, he's a Christian. Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, John, I think is honestly trying to wrestle with his own story. Right. Cause John grew up in a, uh, in a, in a kind of very fundamentalist uh, Protestant sect that was very, very protective and very, you know, purity minded and shame, shame, uh, shame minded and everything. And so he was very deeply wounded, I think, by his experience and felt like he discovered in cognitive science and in Buddhism, a, a, a different way of seeing the world and a release from, from that type of that type of uh, relationship, and so I think this is my interpretation. John, can, sure, if he sure. ever watches this, he can contradict me. But I think that what's happening for him now is that he is kind of surprised and happy to find aspects of Christianity, to find Christians that are showing him another vision mm. of what Christianity is. You know, and he on himself, he's reading Sam Maximus now. He's reading uh, some of the, he's reading Eugenia, some of the Western uh, theologians, and is and is changing even the way he's talking about 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 things. Mm. And so for me, like talking with John, I think it's a process, and it's a it's it's like it's a process that a lot of the people that are watching my videos are on themselves, and it's the same with Jordan Peterson. It's just that with what happens is that this is my my interpretation is that. Let's say I'm talking with Jordan Peterson and Jordan is presenting his own existential objections or his own existential doubts. And, and I'm trying to answer the way I can. And then they say, all right, well, yeah, but no, the, what, what happens is that there's a thousand people watching that are saying, you know what? (laughs) That was the right face, right? (laughs) You know what? Actually, I think, I think, you know, I think I'm willing to take that extra step. And so that's what's, I think that's a lot of the things that are happening. Oh, and it's beautiful. And I, I like the messiness of it. It, 
it it's the proper space i think in a postmodern world to be able to venture into these i always think of postmodernism as just a preparation for a return to something like you know fulfillment in in god and in orthodoxy yeah. it, it it has to that's why i never understand people's anger with you know of course postmodernism produces nuts stuff don't get me wrong but it also is ripe it's i mean 19 people forget the 1900 1895 is a terrible time to live if you're a Christian. It's a highly mechanistic time. Mm. It's, it's, it's the death of mystery, man. And now you have this weird birth of it. Now, don't get me wrong. It creates a lot of problems, but it feels richer for people maybe from the ancient Orthodox East than I think so. But one of the things that, one of the things that's hard and I understand it's like people listen to me or they watch me talk to someone like, John Verveke or to some occultist or to some like mm-hmm. weird, some mm-hmm. weird atheist or, or, or like I just recorded a discussion with Brett Weinstein and, and I can understand because they'll listen to me. And sometimes the, I know what they're thinking. They're thinking, why doesn't Jonathan say this? Like, what does it, why doesn't Jonathan like tell them the truth of Christ? Like, why doesn't he like lay it out, you know, lay out orthodoxy for them. And I'm thinking it's like, that's not, how real conversations work. Like it's just not how, <coughs> I don't think that's how real conversations work. And to a certain extent, I don't feel responsible. Like I don't feel responsible for the man in which that person will or will not like have a glimpse of the grace of God. Like, I don't think that's, I don't think that I actually have the role to do that. Like I can only say the things that shine in front of me as I'm encountering them and trying to figure out what they think and, trying to get them to see certain things a little differently. And so sometimes it can be frustrating for, I under, I know, and I'm sure people criticize me for that because they're like, you know, why didn't he, why didn't he say that? Like, why isn't he talking about, you know, the divine energies or whatever it is that Orthodox theologians talk about? It's like, I try to have conversations, you know. But it's the rationalist's impulse because they think just one more rational expression of orthodoxy will get them over the edge because they're working with a rationalist template. And I just never find Christians come to Christianity that way. Well, at least the ones I, they don't, it's not like one more argument. Oh, just the right word. Oh, you did it. It doesn't, it never feels that way to me. Yeah. Well, some, some people definitely come to Christianity and think through, through reason and to a certain extent, because there is, it the argument? is rational. Was it it's, the, there's a there's a limit, right? Because yeah, yeah. I guess I'm pretty radical. I always think my mother, memory eternal. She was so good at this, Jonathan. She would never leave a moment on the table. See, well, that Jonathan Paggio. So many moments on the table. And I was always thinking, mom, the moments you're identifying are your moments in your mind at a certain time. They, they're not even heard by all these other people the same way. Probably. Yeah. So I like the probably the space there is, is a space of humility. I'm not going into your mind right now because I don't even know. Maybe it's not even the right thing to say. I like that humility rather than the sort of great commission, you know, Protestant moment of, Way to go. I just don't like the way to go moment in, yeah. in the Christian conversation. I, but it also depends. Like, so what I think one of the things that I I hope that one of the things that I'm doing, the way that I'm doing it, what it affords me is multiple conversations. Like what it affords me is the desire that for the person to talk to me again. But if I 
like if I was in a moment where I'd be like, I just, you know, I just slap it on the table and be like, this is the, this is the truth. This is the way it is and everything. Then I think most of the time, the people I talk to won't want to talk to me again. And I would understand why they wouldn't. And so I would make the Orthodox happy because they'd be like, yeah, Jonathan is saying the thing. He's saying the, the, the right thing. And they would be right that I would be saying the right thing. But in the end, in the end, you know, I don't know if, I don't know if the fruits of that in the long term would be, would be, would be good. I don't know. I mean, and if some people are doing it that way, that's totally fine. But for me, I can't, I just, and I'm also just not an arguer, a guy who argues a lot. I just don't like to argue anyways. Would would you be called an empath in the the world? Yeah, more empathic. I try to kind of understand where the other person is. And then I, I, I try to show how, what I'm trying, what I'm saying connects to their world is the way that I, I tend to do that. Well, that's what I always say. I always say I would rather be a teacher than, you know, a propositional provider. I don't want to provide a proposition for you to have to force you into a corner. It's uncomfortable for me. On the other hand, man, you know, I do hope I'm a martyr when the time comes, like if it comes, I do hope yeah. I say the proposition properly in English so people can hear what I'm trying to say. I believe I do. want. Yeah, that. you're right. I mean, there's a way in which I think that it's not about I hope that what I what I'm doing is not about avoiding, like right. avoiding in order to be accepted by others. Like, man, if I'm I if I if I go down that direction, I hope a priest will smack me into the side of the head and say, mm-hmm. "Okay, Jonathan, like get back and get back into the into the truth." Um, but you know, yeah. So, oh, there it is. Yeah, there well, it is. I, yeah, you. I don't know. It's easy talking to you. I'm so thankful you came back on, man. I know you're super busy. So um, thanks. And oh, it's, I, good. I, it's a joy. All right. That was something with Jonathan. Thank you to you, Mr. Jonathan Peugeot. Thank you to you guys for listening. Shenis Gagimardros. That means to you, the victory. That's said at the Supra, also known sometimes as a KP. And that is a Georgian Republic tradition that we invite you to participate in at our new restaurant. KP opening in Greenville any day now. Pay close attention on our website. You can see opening day. Come sign up and do a public KP with us where we share a table with lots of people at the KP restaurant. Brought to you by First Things Foundation. Also take a trip with us this summer. You can do that on our on our. FTF Journeys, where we head to the Georgian Republic or to Guatemala. We'll take you to West Africa, soon to East Africa, and come visit us in Appalachia, where we take a short trip, spend a weekend together, including eating at our restaurant. That's a KP journey. You can find that on our website. We also have a lot of other things happening, including recruiting now for two positions in Mozambique. But most of all, this is Watar. And when you listen, you help us spread the word about our small project development projects, programs, and love. Okay, from Watar, peace out. Nakbandis, hasta luego, and kombufo. That's Bombara for greet your people.